today, there's going to be literally a thousand threads that are Charlie Munger was lived till 99. Here's 99 lessons I learned. And they're going to regurgitate the stupid quotes on Wikipedia. But this is my first book. We do things differently around here. We're not just going to give you the regurgitated quotes. I got to give you that, you know, little special jus, that old jus that you can dip that sandwich in. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. I put my all in it like no days off. On the road, let's travel. Never Charlie Munger has died at age 99. And all around the world, people are remembering Charlie, this guy who was Warren Buffett's business partner. You know, Bill Gates called Charlie, you know, maybe the broadest thinker he knows. He said that um, he has the best 30-second brain of anybody he's ever met. And we wanted to dissect that brain. What's inside that? What made Charlie so prolific? Why did Warren Buffett say that Berkshire is shaped in the mold of Charlie Munger and that he is one of the, the smartest and wisest men he's ever met? And we pulled out seven of the big ideas. Charlie said a lot of things over the years, but we, we identified what we think are the seven big, big bits of wisdom. Uh, that Charlie has shared. And what we wanted to do was instead of just making a listicle, which you're going to see a lot today, you're going to see people on Twitter, you know, every thread boy is going to be like, Charlie Munger died at 99. Here's the 99 bits of wisdom. And they're going to copy paste Wikipedia. We didn't want to do that. What we wanted to do was take the seven that we thought were really, really impactful and specifically tell a story of how we learned that lesson in our own business life or in our life. Um, it made for, I think, a pretty amazing episode. I told Sam, I said, dude, this notes document that we have for this episode this thing is, you got a handkerchief? This thing is dripping with wisdom. And you're, that's how you're going to feel at the end of this podcast. You're going to need to take a shirt. You're going to need to wipe the old podcast player because this episode is about to be dripping with wisdom. I hope you enjoy this episode on the seven bits of wisdom from Charlie Munger. Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. You know, finding a service solution that keeps your customers happy can feel impossible. Like trying to remember the name of that guy you literally just met at that networking event. And HubSpot Service Hub can help. So with the service solution part, at least it makes it easy. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform. With an AI-powered help desk and a chatbot to handle your frontline tickets so you could scale support and drive retention and revenue. Visit HubSpot.com service to learn more. All right, so let's jump into the wisdom. So what I think would be fun is we just sort of trade our favorites because this guy's got little quips or, or quotes about the way the world works, about the way minds work, about the way the markets work. All right, you go first. Okay, I'll start with a very easy one. So one of, uh, you know, one of his big ideas is to get what you want, you need to deserve what you want. <laughs> and so he says, you know, the easiest way to get everything that you want is to deserve it. And it's so simple that it's almost like obnoxiously simple, this advice. If you want the partner you want, you should be deserving of that level of partner, right? Make yourself worthy of a partner like that. Uh, same thing with investments. And he, he kind of calls out a few things that money can't buy. So he's like, um, trust in other people, uh, success and admiration. Those are things you cannot buy. You can only earn. And so if you want somebody's admiration, deserve it. If you want somebody's trust, deserve it. If you want success, deserve it. And I'll share like a very simple, more practical anecdote about this. Because again, like his big ideas are amazing, but they just sort of float in the clouds unless you bring it to earth with a real tactical example. So when we sold the Milk Road, I've said this before, but one of the reasons we we sold to the guys we did was I really, really respected these guys. It was not the highest offer but these were the highest quality people that we could sell to. And we just had a hunch that like selling to the highest quality people will result in the best long-term outcome. You know, for every dollar we're taking less today, we might create three more dollars in the future just by being around high quality people. And I'll tell you a story that came out of the due diligence that like 
was like a nugget of gold that stuck with me that was exactly this. So one of the guys that sold his businesses for about 90 to 100 million, and the other guy had sold his business for over 200 million. And both of them had built businesses that were SEO based. And I know a lot of things about marketing and growth, but I know zero about SEO. I am an absolute beginner, novice. I never touch SEO. I don't do businesses that are SEO based. I literally know nothing. And so one of the ways I priced in the deal was, oh, I'm going to learn SEO from these guys who are frankly masters at SEO. And so we get to the point where we do the deal. We're not negotiating anymore. And I'm like, oh, good. I'm going to start digging. I'm going to start picking these guys' brains for SEO shit. So I sat them down. I was like, you're going to teach me about SEO now. And they started to tell me something, but I was like, okay, okay, that's the general stuff. I've heard that stuff before. Like, what's the like real like master shit? What's the real like black belt shit that I don't know about that you can't just Google and read in you know some blog that like helped you guys create? You know, one guy created um, the number one search result for if you say I want to buy gold online, and that's the business that was you know sold for a few hundred million dollars that he bootstrapped that you know never raised any money and he did it because. He knew how to be the top result for buy gold online. I said, how'd you do it, bro? What'd you do? Was it some, some hack, some technique? And he's like, um, you know, we did all the normal things. And he's like, and I tried some of these hacks or techniques. It didn't really work. And he's like, so then he's like, you know, what happened was one day I Googled how to buy gold online. And we were the fifth result at the time. He's like, so then I printed out all five of the results, us being number five. And I printed one through four also. And I sat down for an hour and I just looked at them and I read them. And I was like, I had an honest conversation with myself of why would I click on my page? What is better about my page than these other pages? And I was like, wait, so you didn't like do some like black hat SEO shit that was like this like advanced trick. And he was like, no, he's like, we didn't deserve the click. We weren't better pages. He's he's like, so all I did for the next year was every week I printed out all the pages and then I made my page like you know 10% better. I figured out one way that we could be better, as objectively better, even if we weren't moving up in the ranks yet, that I could look at it and say, this is a better page. We deserve to be higher ranked. And I had literally never heard this. And I was like, on one hand, in the moment, honestly, I was kind of disappointed. I was like, dude, I came to you for that secret juju about SEO. Like, I'm not trying to have this, like, you got to work hard and, and just actually make a better page. But it was also kind of like refreshing. It's like you go to the people who are masters of SEO and they're like, yeah, you can do all the tricks. But at the end of the day, you have to have the best result. Like you have to have the best page and you have to have an honest conversation with yourself of is your page better than these other pages? He's like, if you really want to sustainably like climb the ranks and be the number one, that's it. And that was such a like tangible business example of like to get what you want, you have to deserve what you want. And uh, I'll never forget that. That was like one of the biggest takeaways I had of the whole process. That's beautiful. I, I, I like that one. He also had another line Munger did where he's like, I n- never try to disagree with someone's opinion unless I understand their side better than they do. Right. And, th- and that's like a specific example of like, let's say debate of how he was like, I need to, I need to deserve this. Right. So that's number two. I love that one. He says, I'm not entitled to an opinion. Like I can't have conviction until I can argue the other side better than someone who believes the other side. <laughs> and he's like, he's it's like, good, people right? think he's like, people think this is some like crazy high bar. And those people haven't ever asked somebody who believes something why they believe it. Like it's actually quite a low bar to surpass their own, like con- their own understanding of something. Um, and, you know, I, I think about this with like Bitcoin, for example, I'm a Bitcoin believer. And my approach to this was always to say, here's all the reasons why I believe in Bitcoin. It just makes sense for you know, reason A, B, C and D. But actually, the better way to do it is to say, 
smart people who don't believe in Bitcoin would say A, B, and C. And I understand that. And here's what I think about those and why I've landed on the side of conviction that I have. It's just a much better logical way to think than to just say, here's what I believe and I'm going to come up with all the evidence. I'm even going to make right. up some of it to justify my opinion, which is, I would say, how what do we call it? Steel manning? Do. Yeah, so steel manning is like, argue the other side better than they would even argue it. There's this cool uh, story from, I think it's called Making of a, an American Capitalist. And so they talk about how, the, here, I'll read just the, this part from the book. They go, physically, Munger was unimpressive. He had an elf-like face, pasty skin, and glasses an inch thick. Though something of a snob and highly judgmental, he had a deep sense of ethics, and his smarts were matched by a Churchillian self-assurance. Once he was asked if he could play the piano, and Munger replied, I don't know. I've never tried. And I thought, like, <laughs> what a telling line. Like, uh, what a telling line. So most people, you say, no, I can't play the piano. This was, <laughs> I probably could. <laughs> it's, uh, it, there's definitely a potential that I will be a great piano player. I just haven't tried. And when I read that line, I, I just thought, this man's beautiful. This man's one of a kind. And I love people like that because myself, you, most everyone, we default to, can you do this? It's like, of course not. I, I don't have the capabilities. I, I, I cannot do that. Where you, that little mind shift of like, well, not yet. Dude, even or, noticing I, that uh, props to you. I read that line in the research. I didn't even understand what was remarkable with the line. I just moved on. I didn't even notice it until you just said it like you did. Uh, so good on you for even observing it. <laughs> that's a good one. Well, that's what I'm saying when I'm reading about these guys. It's like these little one-off lines or these like, like for example, they'll say he founded this law firm and then next, he was bored there, next, like whatever. And I'm like, well, hold on, let me go look at this law firm. And then you start reading about this law firm and like, dude, this is quirky. This is a weird, super strange law firm. And so anyway, yeah, this line, it's a beautiful line uh, about just showing like the day to day about how you can be different. All right. If you're loving this episode, I'm glad. I also want to tell you three things that we are doing as a podcast. Quick little news flash, news announcement about MFM. I have three things to tell you. Here they are. Number one, there's like this meetup thing going on. So, uh, there's a woman, she runs a company that basically helps like content creators like us spin up meetups. So basically what's happening is in uh, in like a week or two around the world, there's MFM meetups, which is kind of fun. We're not going to be there because it's like, you know, they're, they're all happening on the same day in different locations. But forget us. If you're one of these people that listen to the podcast, you're probably going to get along with other people who listen to the podcast. People who listen to this podcast, you're business nerds with a sense of humor. And if you like business owners with a sense of humor, they're all getting together. Everybody's going to like a, a bar, you know, like there's one in Toronto, there's one in California, there's one in Austin, and they're they're going to hang out. It's called River. So if you go to getriver.io, so get G-E-T, and then river, like a stream, river.io, you scroll all the way to the bottom and you'll see my first million meetup. They're happening in Austin, in Houston, Denver. Right. So yeah, uh, they did this for All In, I think, and that's kind of one, one of the proof of concepts. Um, I think this is going to be fun. So, so do it. We'll try to like, I don't know, call into a couple of these and say hi, but um, this is cool. So that's happening next week. That's fun. Go meet some other people who um, are part of Neckbeard Nation. <laughs> Number two, uh, we're doing the poker tournament. So a while back, we talked about this business that we thought found fascinating, which was a cloud poker tournament. It's like his digital poker tournament where everybody's webcams on. It could be private for our community. And uh, 300 or 400 people signed up. We just never scheduled it, but now we scheduled it. It's December 13th. It's happening. Uh, we will give away merch and some cool stuff as prizes. We'll come up with some dope prizes, thousand bucks or a call or free merch or whatever. 
so yeah, it's at cloudpokernight.com. So cloudpokernight.com slash MFM. So if you want to register for that, if you already registered, we'll send out an email uh, to be able to let them know that that's happening. Uh, and last thing is I do a thing every year, which is I, uh, this month, this month of December is the plan for, you know, other people are thinking about Christmas. I'm thinking about end of year next year, hit my goals. And so I basically use this time for planning for 2024. So uh, I'm going to host a free session, which basically is I, uh, I'm currently doing it for all my businesses. I make like a one page plan for what I'm trying to do next year. And it's basically like the big goal and then the breakdown of like how I'm going to do it. I have a method of how I get to that answer. And you walk away with kind of like a clear one pager for your business. Uh, ben had the idea. He was like, dude, I love when we do this. He's like, we should just like do this together with other people that own businesses that want to do it. And so totally free. Uh, you'll walk away in an hour with like a bunch of clarity on what's what your next year looks like. Uh, I have a bunch of good questions that help people get clarity. So if you want to attend that plan for 2024.com. So go to plan for 2024.com. Uh, Ben's going to spin up a website and we'll, we'll invite people to that. If you're the type of person that wants to kind of like set the vision and the intention for next year. Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. It is a podcast that we want you to check out. It's called D2C Pod. It's hosted by Ramon Berrios and Blaine Bolas. It is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. And this is a podcast about all things direct-to-consumer, D2C. It's e-commerce stores. It's how you optimize your brand. And they're talking with founders, marketers, and the platform creators about all kinds of things that you need to know for D2C. You know, website conversion, paid ads, Facebook ads, consumer trends, email marketing, if you want to know the stories behind your favorite brands, this podcast is for you. They did an episode recently about scaling creator growth and influencer incentives. That I thought it's pretty cool. So check it out. Listen to DTC Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Let me give you number four. So my number four um, Charlie-ism I want to bring up is, uh, let me tell you a little story about, about where, I, where I felt this first, and then I'm going to tell you the Charlie-ism. So uh, let's rewind the clock. 15 years, I was living in Indonesia. And in Indonesia, I lived in this building that had a, a ping pong table. And so I used to go down and just hang out by the ping pong table because I thought, well, that's maybe like, you know, my equivalent of like going having a drink at the bar. Let's just go see if anybody's down here to, to play and maybe I can meet some people. And uh, so sure enough, I would go down, me and my brother-in-law, we would go down and we would play. And my brother-in-law is better than me at ping pong. And he, the way he plays is what you imagine somebody who's good at ping pong. He's not just going to hit it fast. He's going to jump, even though you don't need to jump. He's going to be like, woo, but he's going to just make you feel like he just smashed this shot. And like, I was so like, I was trying to get better than him. He was trying to get better than me. And I thought, okay, he's brilliant at this. Like he could just hit these amazing shots and I got to be able to hit amazing shots. So I'm practicing hitting amazing shots. And he, and so whoever used to come down, he would beat them. He was the best guy in the building until one day. This 55, 60-year-old man came down named Poppy. And we're like, your name is Poppy? Uh -oh. He's like, I'm Poppy. And we're like, okay. Uh, I don't know if he's a bit flexing on us, if this is a real name. And he takes uh, a paddle out of his um, of his like case. And we're like, oh, dude, he's got his own, his own paddle. Oh, shit. And it's like the guy who brings his own bowling ball to the bowling alley. You know, this guy means business. So we're, so we're already on, on a, you know, like a game, basically. And so uh, I play him. And Poppy beats me, but he didn't do anything like he wasn't smashing the ball. He wasn't doing it. And I just thought, oh, man, I was off today. All right. Like, Aaron, you play him. And so I have my brother-in-law Aaron play him. I'm like, all right, Aaron's never lost to anybody in this building. Let's see what happens. And he starts playing Poppy and he's trying to do what he always does. He's trying to hit brilliant shots on the corner, down the line, cross court, you know, drop shot. 
and none of it's working. Poppy is destroying him. And the way that Poppy plays is like, this is for anybody who's like a real ping pong fan. I, I need like something to demonstrate. So use this pen. Pretend this is the paddle. Normally, when you play ping pong, your arm is back. You're doing like a full stroke, like a tennis thing. Poppy used to just, he used to just hold it like this forward, like the paddle just facing you. And then he would just move left and right like a wall. And he would just, whatever you hit, he would just hit back. And the thing about Poppy is Poppy was never hitting brilliant shots, but he would also never hit it out and never hit the net. And so inevitably, he would just keep hitting it back. And you, one of your brilliant shots would go out of bounds. You would hit it too hard, too soft. You'd hit the net. Like you would mess up. And he would always score based on your error. And he crushed us and he crushed us that day and he crushed us every day. And he would just chuckle and say, good game. And he would go upstairs and we'd be like, fucking poppy, man, I'm going to get this guy. And we never got him. The whole summer I was there, we never one time beat this guy. And then one day he invited us up to his house afterward, his apartment in the building. He lived in the penthouse. Beautiful. He was so successful in business. We're like, poppy, dude, you're balling out of control. He had like a secret poker room. He had a, a wall of just like super fancy like liquor. He like people have a wine cellar. He had like a fancy liquor wall. It was crazy. He had a shower with like six shower heads. And we were like, dude, this guy poppy this. And we're like, what do you do? And he's like, uh, I sell soap. And we're like, you're like, you make soap. He's like, no, no, I just import and export. And we're like, is it better soap? He's like, no, it's just soap. Um, he's like, it's good soap. It's not the best. And we were like, well, how do you sell it? He's like, well, I just go to people that need soap. And we're like, this fucking poppy, like this is how he lives his life too. He's just making no, no brilliant shots, but no unforced errors. And so this is a Charlie Mungerism, which is avoiding stupidity is easier than seeking brilliance. And he says, other people spend their whole life trying to be so smart. All I'm trying to do is not be idiotic. It's harder than people think but this is more important than trying to be brilliant. And so Charlie was basically like, how do I just avoid the great errors in life? Let's say it's investing. How do I avoid the great errors of investing? If it's health, how do I avoid the great errors of health? And that's basically what he oriented around. He wasn't perfect at it, but I thought what a totally different, you know, a different strategy than you'll ever hear, which is about being the best and becoming more advanced and becoming, you know, being brilliant and talented. And his thing was just, just avoid stupidity and you'll, you'll outperform everybody. Is there a category in the Oscars for like podcasters who can weave in a <laughs> story into Charlie Munger? If 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 yes, I think you might get I think you might get that nod. That was a wonderful. We got to give it up. That was a wonderful. You 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 had me enthralled and I didn't know where you were going to go with this. I didn't you know did where I was going to go with job. it. <laughs> Sometimes you just open your mouth and start talking and see where it goes. And you won that, Mr. Wonder. <laughs> you 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 totally won that one. That was a beautiful the beautiful way to tie that in. Copywriting. That's what you, that's what that was. <laughs> well, it, it, I'm, uh, honestly, the reason why today there's going to be literally a thousand threads that are Charlie Munger was lived till 99. Here's 99 lessons I learned, and they're going to regurgitate the stupid quotes on Wikipedia. But this is my first book. We do things differently around here. We're not just going to give you the regurgitated quotes. I got to give you that, you know, little special jus, that old jus that you can dip that sandwich in. You came with heat. That's going to be hard to compete with. I um, let me let me ask you something. So right now it's uh, it's November 29th. So most people are doing their next year financial planning for their businesses for years at the hustle. I made a very similar mistake that I bet you made. And that is over optimism. 
have you ever hit any of your projections in the first <laughs> six years of your career? Never. I've never met a goal I've ever set. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> dude. If you ask people at the hustle, like one of my big weaknesses is it's looking at the numbers of the Excel sheet, and you know you see like a uh, seven million here, uh, and you're like, what if we took that seven <laughs> and deleted it? And put a nine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, look how much more profit they gave us. Let's just I'm do a that. Genius. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People would be driven crazy because that's what I would do. I would just look at the sheets. I'm like, yeah, that looks good. But hey, look, if you just delete that number and put it to that number, look how much better this looks. So <laughs> let's just do that. And I've made that mistake so many times. I um, I bought a property uh recently or a, a few years back, and I remember like thinking like, okay, this is only an okay price property. But yeah, you know, I, I'm going to like take better pictures or I'm going to like do something when I sell it. And I'm going to make that's how I'm going to make all this money is I'm just going to increase revenue. And I'm, I'm going to do this, this, this. And guess what? Just like years <laughs> of failing at projecting, I totally effed it up. So now I try to be way more modest uh, with my financial projections, but I completely uh, have always messed it up. And uh, Munger's got a bunch of good quotes. He's like, it's dangerous to rely too much on models and formula. The, the, the reality is way more complex than that. We're very disciplined in our approach and we're not swayed by flimsy optimism. And then he goes on to say, he's like, it's pretty ridiculous that people are, are biased by both over skepticism and over optimism in, in the business world. If the micro reality is good, good decisions and good systems are what I look for. Not predictions of macro environment changes. And so basically the point being, is his whole philosophy was to buy businesses where if I bought a good business at a good price, I'm golden. And then if I ever want to sell it, or if something crazy improves, that's icing on the cake. Whereas what I do, and I bet most people do, and I try my hardest to avoid this nowadays, is I say, I default to, no, the optimism is actually the truth. The truth is just, that's just what they did because they don't know what the hell they're talking about. You know what I mean? Right. And that's been one of my biggest mistakes in business is over-optimism. And what it does is it crushes team morale and it gets you in a losing state of mind and it just sucks. <laughs> um, what, what Munger said was, he goes, you make a lot of money when you buy a good company at a good price, but you make all of the money by letting it ride for 20 years. Right. So the patience is where the big money is. And I struggle like crazy to do that. I have... This this year, we're, we're I'm trying things a little bit differently, but I have never hit any of my projections because it's just too optimistic, and that is it's basically just mental masturbation is what it is by by making these projections, and it's harmful. It's it's a liability. Well, there's like the thing you want to hit. You know, some people say you want to hit seventy percent of the goals um, that you that you set, and that's like the right balance between ambition and you know practicality. Hitting zero percent of your goals is obviously means you're setting the wrong goals and hitting 100% of your goals means you're you know obviously being uh, playing it too safe and conservatively and so there is some number in between you could pick 70 50 60 whatever works for you and uh yeah i think most entrepreneurs and investors for that matter err on the side of optimism because boy doesn't it feel better in the moment to uh, do you want to know something to i'm trying to optimistic. do no goals i'm trying to do no goals and I, it's it's not working out with any of the partners who I'm involved with who are trying to find <laughs> it. You this. know what it's not doing? <laughs> working out. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying no goals and I'm getting no, no buy-in. <laughs> so <laughs> I hate, I've, I've grown to hate goals, man. Like it shouldn't change like 
Do you know what I mean? It's like uh it's like this telling is someone like your to, like, thing with money. Do you have like a you have like a weird relationship with money that you need like money therapy? You have probably like a weird relationship with goals that like uh you just need to work out. Like, you know, these extremes, crazy goals that nobody can hit or no goals. I would just assume that the answer is actually somewhere in the middle, right? The mongerism is probably somewhere somewhere in the middle, not well, uh, it, not in either extreme. Let's go to one of his other ones that I think is kind of related, which is one of Munger's big ideas, the one one that he is is well known for that I have taken into my life is this idea of inversion. So he he says invert, always invert. And so, you know, the what does this mean? It's basically a way to think through problems backwards. So if you it, let's say you wanted to solve a common thing that people ask, which is, you know, how do I be successful? Um or how do I be happy in life? And there might be like a thousand different answers to that question, but what Munger would do is, is in order to get to the answer faster, he would invert, right? Why does Bill Gates say he goes from A to Z faster than anyone? He's, he has the best 30-second brain of anyone. It's because Munger's default way of problem solving is to invert. And so he'll say, instead of figuring out how to be happy, let me just figure out what is the surefire, surefire path to misery? And he literally wrote it out. Like, I can read you the answer. What he said is the surefire path to misery. Or what, do you, what, what, what did he say? Uh, okay, so his his prescri- he, he actually did a talk and he calls this his prescription for misery. So he says, um, "What a be- what a beautiful line, by the way. Is that beautiful yeah, language or it, what? It is. It's, it's wonderful." And he says, um, inge- "You know, number one, ingesting chemicals to alter your mood or perception. So if you rely on chemicals to change your mood, uh, eventually this leads to misery. This is like you know alcoholism or like sort of like overstimulation, whatnot. Um, number two is envy. Uh, he has this great quote, which is." The world is not, people think the world is driven by greed. It's actually driven by envy. Uh, he goes, um, you know, I am lucky that, you know, I'm an old man now and I've conquered my envy. I don't give a damn what anybody else has. I don't want what anybody else has and I don't care what they have. Uh, but most people are not like that. For most people, it drives them up the walls if they see that the neighbor has a nicer car or that their friend has a higher paying job or that their coworker gets promoted. They didn't even want it in the first place. But as soon as somebody else has it, envy kicks in and it drives them, it drives, you know, so much of their behavior. And so number two of the prescription for, for misery is envy. Third related is resentment. If uh, if your joy goes down when other people's joy goes up, that is a surefire way to have a miserable life. So those are three that he stole from somebody else. And he says, I'd like to add my four on top of that. He says, um, number four, be unreliable. Uh, if you are unre- unreliable, you will be distrusted by all of those who matter. And that you might be a mighty fine turtle, but you will be outrun by hordes of mediocre turtles if you are unreliable. And even some turtles that are on crutches. <laughs> so it's like this idea that if you are unreliable, it sort of cancels out any talent that you have. That one hit home for me because, as you know, I am a, a bit of an unreliable person, and I have paid the price for that in many, many times. Yeah. Um, hey, by the way, should we bring up that uh, MFM podcast meeting that you missed yesterday? Yeah, just was on a different call and forgot about it. And so these things happen, and it is a penalty I pay. It is part of my prescription for misery. Um, here's the next one. So he says another number five is learn only from your own experience and your own, uh, you know, trials. Basically, um, if you decide that. <laughs> Your firsthand experience is your only way to figure out good versus bad, and you're not going to learn from other living and dead people. Uh, that is a surefire way to misery because you will you will learn much slower than than somebody who who learns the other way. Next one, he goes, when hit with adversity, go down and stay down. <laughs> That's another prescription for misery <laughs> is to not bounce back from adversity, the inevitable, the, the inevitable and unavoidable blows of life. 
And the last one, he goes, don't be objective. Stay stuck in your ways. Hold on to your initial ideas, your most loved ideas. Hold them with a death grip. And that is his final prescription for misery is to, uh, to never change your mind in light of new facts. My, um, of those that you mentioned, my biggest weaknesses are envy. So this pod is fun for you and I to do. Sometimes it creates a lot of envy because we have all these amazing people on here. Or, or if it's just you and I, like Sean just did great. Uh, Sam didn't do as good. Or uh, if we have all these amazing people on and you start talking to them and you're like, huh, I'm just as smart as this guy. But this well, guy is... How, how do you know? Because when you ask, how old are you? That's the yeah. that's the trigger of like, I'm feeling terrible. Can you really just do the finishing blow and yeah. tell me that you're two years younger yeah. than me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and every once in a while, there are people uh, who I'm like, yeah, you're just better. So and I'm envious. Envious. Zillowing <laughs> yeah. people's houses after you uh, after you see them. That's not really nothing good happens on the end of a Zillow. <laughs> so I have um, I've got I, I read. Uh, I read a lot and I, I like reading biographies. And whenever I read a biography, I do sort of what I did up here where I write down like, let's say it's a business biography. I'll write down the years and I'll make notes of interesting things that happened to that person in that year. And then if it involves a dollar amount, I'll write the dollar amount. And then when one sell over, I'll say, what's that dollar amount in today's n- numbers? And then I'll say, how old were they? And so I'm like reverse engineering different people's lives. But you know what I'm really doing? I'm like comparing myself shitty. to them. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I'm comparing myself to them. And I justify it by saying, uh, if I read someone and I am better off than they, than they are, uh, I say, great, I'm doing better than them. And they ended up wonderfully. I'm going to end up wonderfully. <laughs> or if they're kicking my ass at my age, I just think, motherfuck, this well, sucks. I got to give you credit for your honesty and vulnerability because you're being honest and vulnerable admitting this. But I do not advise anybody follow this game plan. <laughs> this is a recipe for I am misery. not saying that this is <laughs> I'm not saying this is helpful. I'm just admitting and, and the last thing that I sort of suck at is being bendable. What what was the last one? What did how did you describe yeah, he describe it? He's like, you know, don't be objective. Uh, don't change your don't change your mind. You know, stay stuck in your way. Stay stuck in hold on to those initial ideas you had before these new new facts and, cir- and circumstances came out. I try to think of myself as bendable, but I could work on that for sure. The, the ones that I uh, struggle with out of this are the unreliable one for sure. And then um, maybe envy a second one. I think that's probably like number two. I think I'm pretty good on all these other ones. I want to give that's you some more I would, stories. I, I, I wouldn't have thought, by the way, of you as an envious person. I think that's a hard one to kick. Uh, you know, I don't think I'm like, let's say, terrible at it, but it's definitely there. It's not something that I could be like, yeah. I have conquered that mountain. No, no, no. I'm still somewhere on that mountain. Hey, um, do you know what the uh, what I think it's the sixth, tenth commandment is? Thou no. shalt not, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Right, right. So don't be jealous. <laughs> don't be jealous, my friend. So even the, they've I have been a joke, it for but thousands. I think if I said this joke, it's going to get me in trouble with at least five people at minimum in my life. So I'm just going to not make this joke. All right. So um, I want to give you some examples of, of the invert principle because I think this is one of the most important ones. So. When he was a military meteorologist, it's World War II. His job is to keep pilots safe. And he's like, okay, uh, what are, what's everything I need to know about pilot safety? And he's like, you know, there's like seven textbooks about everything a pilot needs to know. And then instead, he's like, no, no, no. Okay, let's work backwards. What are the most likely causes of, of crashes or incidents for pilots? And he went and studied that. Way simpler answer. He's like, okay. I just need to be able to predict snow, ice, and fog really well as a military meteorologist. Those three, if I can avoid the, if I can get my pilots out of the way of those three, 
uh, I can ignore everything else because those three are the, the real killers. And let me like, so he inverted it in order to like do his job. Let me tell you another example of this. When I was in college, um, I got picked as part of some like thing called Kairos that was like, uh, I love Kairos. Top college startups in the country. Honestly, it was like worse than Forbes 30 under 30 in terms of like credibility. Literally, if you signed up, you won. And um, even better, if you signed up, you won, and then you you uh, made friends with the person, they would take you on this all expenses paid trip to China for a week to go meet uh, Jack Ma, the CEO of Alibaba, or the founder of Alibaba. And so we go, I get picked on this trip, I go fly to China. I don't even know what Alibaba is. We go to their headquarters. I'm like, holy shit, this is like eBay for China or something. This is crazy. And uh, we get a sit down meeting with the CEO. This guy's like one of the most powerful people in China. And somebody, asked, you know, we got to ask questions. And one of the kids asks, you know, this sort of simpleton question, like, you know, what's your advice? You know, I want to be successful. What's your advice? Like, what are the, what are the keys to success from your experience? And, um, and he says, uh, you know, I was obsessed with this question also. What are the keys to success? What is the blueprint for success? And I talked to 100 successful people and I got 100 different blueprints. And I thought, well, that doesn't really help. And, and this, is Jack, goes, this, uh, this is was Jack actually Ma. a guy Talk- named David Way, I think is his name. He was the current CEO at the time. He was the one answering this part. And he goes, um, so he goes every success is different. It's its own little unique snowflake. But every failure is the same. And we were like, you know, we lean in. And, you know, he had his answer and his answer, I don't think is actually the the right answer, but for this, but like he goes, um, it like tied into the Alibaba story and he goes, every, every, every big company that, that eventually fails. So his, his answer was like, not how to be successful, but how do you not screw it up once you're a big company, which was the problem they were having. He goes too much money, too much technology and too many people. And so he tells a story about like how they were going to compete with, um, with Google and uh, with eBay when they were coming to China. And he's like, we needed to invent our version of Google AdWords. And he goes, Jack Ma said, cool. You get, um, I think it was like 12, 15 people. He's like, 12, 15 people. This is like going to be a huge part of the business. Google has 2,000 people working on this. He goes, did I stutter? You get 12 to 15 <laughs> people. Uh, you're going to work. Um, he's like, we need some office space. Uh, you know, w- w- Give us like a couple floors of the office or whatever. He's like, you're going to work out of my old apartment. He's like, your old apartment, we need a proper office. He goes, I started Alibaba in that apartment. I think it'll work. And he goes, uh, technology He's like, we, you know, we're going to need this many servers. We should get the best stuff. Uh, and, you know, we need this much, but let's have double that for redundancy in case, you know, the servers go down. We don't want to lose anything. He goes, oh, if I give you redundant servers, you're going to design a system that goes down. I'm going to give you only the servers you need. And in fact, uh, you go get, go get used servers so it can run on even shitty servers. And, uh, you know, he sort of David Goggins them. That was like the story that he told about like, and they they eventually did it. They pulled it off. But I wonder if that, that guy budget. found that inspiring at first, or like, what the fuck, Jack? I'm yeah, not it was doing definitely this. like a fuck you, man. Come on. <laughs> but uh, you know, when it all works out, then you can tell this great story. Um, Bezos has a simple inversion too. They were like, you know, Jeff, tech, you're you're you know one of the like internet CEOs. Internet's evolving so fast. Technology's always changing. What technology innovations are you most excited for? What's going to change about Amazon in ten years? And he goes. Oh, I don't think about that. Instead, I think about what's not going to change. He goes, customers are always going to want the most selection, the lowest prices, and the fastest delivery. And so everything else can change, but that's not going to change. And so we focus on what's not going to change because we have to change with the times in order to like constantly beat customers' expectations on delivery speeds, low prices, and and vast selection. And so, you know, this idea of inversion is so powerful. Even in my own like life, I was telling you, like, I'm ha- having a bunch of progress right now with my diet, which is great because, like, you know, the scoreboard is currently 
you know, 34 years of no progress and, you know, like a month of, of great progress right now. And I said, well, what changed? And well, I did a bunch of things, but, but I also actually just inverted. So instead of trying to figure out what's the best diet program, what's the best workout program, exactly how many grams of this, how many milligrams of creatine, how many grams of protein, how much, how much of this, instead of trying to like go, is it the paleo diet, keto diet, Mediterranean diet? What should I be doing? It was just the inversion. Like what's a surefire way to be fat? And that answer was quite simple. Yeah. It's like, I need to eat way more calories than I'm going to burn. Eating shitty foods that are fried and ultra processed. You know, right now I eat late at night. Pretty sure that's a recipe to get fat. Sitting all day instead of walking for my meetings. Probably a pretty good way to get fat is to sit all day. And I just inverted and I was like, okay, cool. I'm just going to walk more. I'm going to you know eat less calories than I consume. And I'm going to um, not late night snack because I always eat crappy food when I do that. Is literally all I changed and like, boom, like started to get results finally after like, you know, instead of like being like, let me go download 19 hours of Andrew Huberman and try to like follow this protocol. It's like, that wasn't <laughs> the problem, right? Like that, that was the complex solution rather than the, the easy inversion. That's great. More MFM in just a minute. First, let me tell you about one of the joys in my life. And that is a virtual assistant. You know, here's the scenario. I'm running my companies. I spend 30% of my time just doing random bullshit. The stuff that has to get done, but it's not creativity. It doesn't require me and it doesn't add a bunch of value to the business. It's just stuff. And so that stuff is what a virtual assistant does. So having a virtual assistant is a no-brainer, whether it's travel booking, email inbox, or just knocking stuff off your personal to-do list that would have just lingered there forever. I think it's a no-brainer. If you're a business owner, you should definitely do it. I think one of the best places to find an assistant is Shepherd. So go to supportshepherd.com. Super affordable. It's something that um, you know you don't need to have the biggest business ever, be the biggest big shot in order to afford it. So it's amazing. Go to supportshepherd.com, check them out and tell them I sent you. They'll take good care of you if you do that. So supportshepherd.com, check it out. All right, let's get back to the pod. Um, where, where do we want to go from here? Um, let's do a couple more. Do you have any other ones that you like here? I, I have a story he told that I thought was pretty cool. Let's wrap up with that story. All right. So he's, uh, he's teaching a class at some college. He goes to like an economics class. So he has this general idea of you need to learn all the big ideas in a space. So he's like, I don't know anything about psychology, but I figured there's probably 20 big ideas in the world of, of psychology. And I should just like read the books and try to figure out what are your, tw- what are the 20 big ideas in your space? And he's like, if I know those 20 big ideas, I'm going to be better than like, I'll know more than 98% of people who spend their whole life, you know, 98% of people, including some people who spend their whole life doing this because they're so lost in the weeds. And so one of the big ideas he had was like, so he goes into economics, same thing. What are the big ideas in economics? Everybody knows like economics 101 is the supply demand curve. And, uh, you know, basically the, the idea is that, you know, as the uh, you know um, you know supply of something goes down, the demand will you know, go up or the price will go up. Similarly, if you drop the price of something, the demand should go up. So, like people know this generally about economics. He's, but Charlie has a thing. He's like, you learn the big idea, but then you also, how do you make this useful? Is you need to understand the exceptions to those rules. So, what is the I before E except after C? So he's like, how do you understand that? Okay, generally, when prices go down, demand should go up for that. If, you know. The demand for TVs is, let's say, you know, X at $5,000. But if you drop the price of a TV down to $5, there's a lot of people that will buy it. And so he's like, but what are the exceptions? So he goes into this economics class and he goes, everybody understands, you know, when prices go down, demand goes. Everybody says, up. He says, okay, fantastic. What are the cases where that's not true? An item that is supposed to uh, signal prestige. Exactly. So 
hands go up, 50 hands go up, and they say, luxury goods. Uh, any item where price is a signal for quality or status. And he's like, you know, this is luxury handbags and whatnot. You know, if a Louis Vuitton bag was $2 tomorrow, the demand would actually briefly go up, but then in the long term go down. And um, he's like, so everybody gets that one. And he goes, what else? And now you get crickets, right? Like, what else? And he goes, um, he goes, <laughs> any industry where demand is based on bribing the purchaser. <laughs> he goes, what? He goes, yeah, there's like uh, many industries, the defense industry, uh, many parts of the, the medical industry, where actually it's a screwed up kind of perverse incentives where companies take profits and they use those to... Um, you know, shower, you know, goods or, or, or money or um, experiences on buying agents, purchasers. And yeah. um, whether that's through advertisement, so like I spend a ton of money advertising and that's how I create the demand. And if I didn't have any advertising budget, I wouldn't be able to create the demand. Or it's things like the, the, the military industrial complex where there's like some cronyism where it's like, yeah, you give me this contract today because in five years, you're going to be on my board and your retirement package will be 10 times what you're making in the government. And because we all know that that's true, because I have so much excess profit, you want to reward me with big contracts. And actually, you want to pay more for these contracts so that we can be this really successful company because it rewards you in the end. And he's like, once you realize that that's an exception to this rule, you will understand how the world actually works. You will understand where the laws of gravity actually break. And I just love that story. I think it told like it's an interesting little nugget business wise, but also you know, the way that capitalism works, but it also shows kind of the way this guy thinks, which is this I before E except after C mentality, where he goes into any space, he tries to speed run and figure out, you know, what are the 10 to 20 big ideas of your space? And then he looks at the exceptions. And, um, you know, I did this recently. I was, I went to Brian Johnson's house and afterwards I was like, thinking about longevity. And I was like, all right, should I be one of these tech guys that like really fucking cares about longevity? Like is longevity going to be my shit? Or am I going to zag and be like, longevity is overrated? And I was like, I need to have an opinion. And I decided- What would Munger say? Hey, Munger lived to be 99. He He didn't look like a longevity freak. (laughs) Well, uh, somebody said this. Well, Naval said this. He goes- Buffett and Munger, these guys are like in their 90s and, uh, you know, they famously like, you know, eat McDonald's breakfast every day and, you know, eat, you know, M&M's and drink Diet Cokes, maybe for show, but, you know, they at least do it. They're not sitting there taking metformin and like cold plunging every morning. And uh, he's like, you know, it just goes to show how, um, how important like not being stressed is actually to your health. Yeah. Uh, Because these guys actually were quite low stress in the the way that they, they lived their life. You know, they spent most of their days reading playing bridge, talking, thinking, uh, very few meetings. They didn't sort of like, you know, stress out about investments. They were buy and hold long-term investor type of thing, like low stress compared to a lot of uh, successful people. Um, But on the longevity thing, I was like, all right, let me go learn what are the 10 big ideas in the longevity space. And I literally carved out two days and me and Ben, all we did was just deep dive into longevity. Like I read, I read, like power skimmed through some books. I read, I, I was like, who are the five like thought leaders? And then what are their most popular TED Talks? And like, let me go watch those. Let me go see what these, you know, what does Peter Atia say? What does Brian Johnson say? What is, what are, so like, what's your quotes? takeaway of all of it? My takeaway was that the big ideas, and this is like somebody who's a big longevity person will, will argue with me because I'm going to do the short version of this. But the big idea is essentially... Everybody in uh, everybody's health declines. We are probably past the age of like the live forever. So there's like one big idea, which is that if we ever figure out a way 
to reverse aging or like minimize cell damage. It's not just going to be this gradual thing like we used to live till 80, then 90, then 100, then 110, 120, 130. There's going to be a stepful jump once we figure out how to stop cell damage. But if you've already had too much damage, they're not going to be able to like get you back into your 20s. You're going to be like past the point of no return. And so like the big breakthrough is if you can figure out how to stop cell damage, we don't know how to do that yet. When that happens, there's going to be an age sort of point, a tipping point where people below that are going to live to like 300 and people above that are still going to live to like 110. And like, there's going to be this big like polarity between those two outcomes. That's interesting. The second interesting thing is like, in terms of the Peter Atiyah school of thought of longevity, which is not live forever, but it's like live a longer health span. So health span versus lifespan is one big idea. And the health span idea is at the end of your life, everybody's going to have a marginal decade, which is like your last 10 years of life, your, your, your health is going to decline pretty dramatically from like being immobile and pain and, and pain to like, you know, really, you know, not being able to wipe your butt by the end. Right. So it's like, that's typically the like bad version of aging. What Peter T and these guys are trying to do is basically push that decade out. So if it was going to happen to you from 80 to 90, let's make it from 90 to hundred. Or if it was going to happen 90 to hundred, let's hundred to 110. And the cost of your today lifestyle in order to affect that final marginal decade, I personally was like, eh, not worth it. I'm going to find the 80-20 of like healthy things to do that are not so costly, like not so painful or hard to follow or like regimented or whatever. Like I'm not going to forget to live today in order for my age 90 to 100 to be like better. I was like, you know, my takeaway was basically, I don't care about the marginal decade. I'm not going to orient my life around that. There's an 80-20 of like healthier stuff to do that's like, eh, I don't mind switching to that lifestyle. I'll do those. And then that's good enough for me. And if like, you know, wonder drugs come out in some point in the future, hopefully I'm in time for that cutoff. That was my conclusion. Do you think that Buffett is going to die like next week now? <laughs> it's that, like when partners like, is this like away? a, you know, like an old couple that <laughs> yeah. they die together. Yeah. Like, is that, <laughs> is that like that very well might happen. He, uh, I think he, Buffett announced recently that like, I, I he's like, I, I finally found my successor at the age of 92. <laughs> I, I found my guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that will, that will probably happen. Um, all right. Well, if you made it this far, Sean, I want to tell you. The people in the YouTube comments have been making fun of you and I. <laughs> what? They are saying that I dress like a serial killer, which I don't know what that means entirely, or that I now that I'm a father, I'm starting to dress like a father or look like an accountant. And they're making fun of your hair. I don't exactly know what they're making fun about your hair because I well, think you've got great no, hair. I looked at that video. Maybe and it's I was messy. Like, I'm also looking exclusively at my hair and that I had a bad I had a bad hair day in the sense that I wake <laughs> up, roll out of bed, and I do this podcast right away. Uh, and I don't even look in the mirror. And, um, dude, I'm like the hairiest guy on earth. Like I got hair on my fucking palms. Like I'm like a, you know, like a, a gorilla and yeah. somehow I think I'm losing kind of some hair. In the front. I'm getting a little, little light and, uh, people were like, yo, he's got to start taking, um, whatever the drug is called. Uh, I, I forget what it is, but like fin finestride or so whatever. So do all the commenters go F yourselves, right? We're just well, doing our thing. I don't care what other people think of me unless it's related to my looks or my intelligence. And um, so I did go ahead and, and, and wet the hair a little bit today and, uh, you know, tried to try to spruce it up. <laughs> it does hurt my feelings too sometimes, if I'm being honest. <laughs> hey, but you know what's, what's working? Sean P. My little Gary V branding pivot is kind of working in the comments every day. They're like, Sean P, Sean P for president. And uh, right now we're a small but loyal army. <laughs> I don't think anyone said Sean P for president. There's a small but loyal army. 
<laughs> there's, as they said in Arrested Development, there's tens of us out there, and uh, but but it, but it is from that small base that we shall grow. Sean P. It is, and I feel like Sean P. Is such a good, such a good brand pivot. I'm actually a little upset. It came to me in my 30s instead of in my 20s. <laughs> All right, that's the pod. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. Uh, I put my all in it like no days off on the road. Let's travel, never looking back. Like-